Hi, and welcome back to the Mindful Sport Performance Podcast. I'm Dr. Keith Kaufman. I'm Dr. Tim Pinnell. And we are very, very excited to be joined today by John Stevenson. John is a sports psychology specialist who has worked with a wide variety of clients and organizations and teams across clinical, sport, and executive coaching settings. To be honest, I had to narrow his bio down to fit it into one episode, so I'm just going to give a small sample of some of the teams and groups that he's worked with, and I'm sure he can fill us in if I, if I miss anything super significant. Um, but just a small sample of who he's worked with include the Ottawa Senators, the Edmonton Oilers, Team Alberta, the Royal Winnipeg Ballet, the Canadian Military, and Chartered Accountants of Alberta. He obtained his master's degree in sports psychology from York University in Toronto in 1992, and a second master's degree in counseling psychology from City University in Edmonton in 2006. so much, John, for making some time to talk with us today. We are really, really excited to chat with you about mindfulness and the work that you've been doing. It's an honor to be on your show. Thank you so much for, for inviting me. Oh, sure. And did I miss anything? Did I, did I capture your bio? Okay, as I said, it's very impressive. So I tried to narrow it down to a sample. When you said 1992, I just realized how old I am. So... <laughs> <laughs> I know, 1992 doesn't feel like that long ago until you actually add up how many years that really is. I, I just had that realization earlier today in a different context. <laughs> actually talking about college basketball and talking about some fond memories. It's like, wow, that was, that was a long time ago. <laughs> um, so thank you very much for, for making some time. And um, as we like to do, we are going to start this episode with just a brief exercise, a brief meditation practice, and Tim is going to lead us today. Um, but we'll give our usual disclaimer that um, if you are somewhere where it wouldn't be safe to close your eyes or to move your concentration away from whatever you're doing, then perhaps uh, just listen at this time and come back and, and do this practice when you can just be in a, in a more quiet environment. Yeah. Yeah. So wherever you are, if it's available to you, you can let yourself close your eyes and just take a moment to check in with the points of contact between your body and the ground, whatever chair or seat you're sitting in. Feel the sensation of gravity pulling you down. but whatever is underneath you, supporting you. Perhaps even roll your shoulders up and back so you can open your chest, feel your spine become long. And just allowing your body to breathe in whatever way feels most comfortable. And bring your awareness now to the cycle of the breath, finding some physical sensation. Maybe it's the rising and falling you feel in your torso, perhaps in your chest or your belly. 
the air flowing in and out of your nostrils. Just pick one of these sensations. Let your attention rest there. Noticing whatever reactions or judgments you might have. Perhaps uh, a thought that your breath should be longer or deeper or slower. If you can, just notice those for what they are. Our judgment, our expectations. And with your next exhale, see if you can let them go. There's no right way to breathe, no wrong way. We're just observing. Simply staying open to what is here right now. And as you sit with the gentle rhythm of your breath, Allow that openness to begin to grow, expand beyond the breath. Begin to tune in to what you can hear. As you let your body and mind become still, Perhaps you can notice subtle, far-off noises. Birds chirping outside, faraway traffic. Someone talking in another room. It's possible, maybe likely, that a lot of these sounds weren't even in your awareness when you first started this meditation. All we're doing now is staying open to being aware to everything that is here in this moment, right now. Those sounds coming from outside, they're not distractions. In the same way, our judgments are not distractions. They're just part of what's here now. And we can see them for what they are as part of our experience here in this moment. Now begin to bring your awareness back into your body. Maybe follow one or two more cycles of breathing, checking back in with those points of contact between your body and the earth beneath you. Perhaps even wiggling your fingers and your toes, bringing some movement back into your muscles. And whenever you feel ready, you can sit back.
and open your eyes. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. So, Tim, I, I know we had a brief conversation before recording about what kind of practice we wanted to do today, and, and this stood out to you. Do you want to just say a word or two about why this was calling out to you today to do one of these uh, sitting, breathing, and expansion to sound practices? Yeah. Well, actually, you know, it's because I, I have noticed in my own practice recently that, like, that has been a, a kind of a primary focus for me. Um, I kind of meditate each morning in our, in our spare bedroom and it's kind of in kind of in the wee hours because like I got to do it before my son wakes up. Um, and so I hear, you know, uh, the, you know, crickets and stuff outside and it just, it has been so such a rich part of the experience. Um, so yeah, it's just been, I think such a big part of how I have been meditating recently. So it just felt, felt like it fit. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Well, thank you for, for leading us today. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah. And it's funny because I noticed as soon as I, I, I did not feel, I didn't notice any sense of tension or stress as I was doing it. But as soon as I said, sit back and open your eyes, I felt my shoulders drop. I was like, my shoulders had been like up here like the whole time. I didn't even realize I was, I must have been a little nervous. <laughs> well, again, it shows, right? Like, no matter how experienced you are at this, it's it's always a fresh and and sometimes stressful experience to lead these meditations. And um, so, for anyone who's listening who has interest in being a, a meditation teacher or experience with it, um, you know, we, we talk about this all the time. It's part of the territory. It never yeah. gets comfortable <laughs> and old, right? It's always a fresh experience. Yeah. So, John, we, we would love to, to start chatting with you a little bit. And as I, as I referenced at the start of our discussion, um, you really do have such an interesting bio. And, and we were fortunate to meet you. You attended our most recent uh, MSPE instructor training. And so we got to, to talk with you a little bit then. But as we were preparing for this discussion and I looked back at all the things you did, it really is amazing how versatile your work has been and um, all the different fields you've tapped into. So um, if you can, we'd just love to hear a little bit about your background and, and what you've been doing in your career. Um, so prior to being a psychologist, um, I ran a hockey school um, for close to 30 years, a goalie school. Um, so I still work with a lot of goalies from little guys all the way up to the National Hockey League. Um, and a lot of just working with goalies. Um, <clears throat> I was always fascinated with peak performance, um, always fascinated with Michael Phelps, like, um, you know, the Elon Musk, like, what are they doing? Like, what are they doing that might be a little bit different? So borrow Tony Robbins phrase, but success leaves clues. So I was trying to understand, like, what are some of the things that they're doing that you know and particularly michael phelps was really fascinating for me because he'd been diagnosed with adhd so how is someone who supposedly has issues with focus not only winning but um you know dominating so i was um the, the thing with being a goalie is it's a team sport but unfortunately when you're a goalie if you make a mistake you might actually cost your team the the game so there's a there's a an individual 
inside that team sport. Um, similar to a, you know, a pitcher in baseball or a quarterback in football. So I was always really fascinated, you know, like Tom Brady, like what, again, what's, what are these guys doing that, that really not only, you know, allows them to perform, but really stand out. So I always got fascinated with that. And um, I love physiology. I, I love the breath work um, that, you know, working with the military and doing heart rate variability breathing, but doing it in a way that's mindful, um, you know, to help them, you know, stay more, more present, um, especially when you're diffusing a bomb. Um, mm-hmm. So those, um, it was just great to focus is, you know, the ability to focus and being able to apply it to so many diff- different disciplines, whether you're, you're a surgeon or you're, um, you know, a little leaguer. Uh, I just always, uh, it was really cool to um, work with so many different, if you're a chartered accountant and that, that, you know, tax time and all the stress that they, they experience, how can they, you know, be more in the moment and manage that stress more effectively. So it was fun. Like I love goaltending and I still love goaltending, but it was really cool to try see, you know, in different performance environments. Yeah. Wow. And I'm at what point, because that's a long journey, right, to go on. But like what, at what point in that journey did you discover mindfulness um, as like helpful in this, in this endeavor? Well, just like prior to us, you know, coming on board here today, I was practicing mindfulness, but I didn't know I was practicing mindfulness. Um, So, for example, with my goalies a long, long time ago, um, the breath work was so important. Um, I call it hype number. So like zero, you're asleep and 10, you've had 900 Red Bull. Um, (laughs) And so, um, you know, every goalie um, has what I call a different hype number. Some goalies perform better when they're, they're calmer. Some goalies need to perform better when they're, um, you know, more hyped up or pumped up. And so <clears throat> through various types of breath work, Tim, um, they were learning how to, you know, be more like in that emotional state, like, be, you know, be in the flow. Um, mm-hmm. So, but what I started to realize with the breath was that, you know, initially I used it as a calming technique. And then I realized, no, um, I was using it more to just anchor in the moment because you can't feel the breath in the past. You can't feel the breath in the future. The only mm-hmm. time and place you can experience the breath is in the moment. So whether you're doing a faster cadence or a slower cadence, you're learning how to just be more in the moment. And, and one thing I talk a lot about with my goal, particularly goalies or any athlete for that matter, is... Um, you're not in your head. The whole point of training is to trust your body, trust your training. You're, you're more task focused than self focused. And so when you're doing breath work, um, a lot, a lot of the clients would come back and say, John, I just, I I'm one, I'm just out of my head. I have more of that. And they're not trying to get calm. They're not trying to get relaxed, but they're just, I feel more in the moment. I feel more present to what, what's happening. And that's how I started. So I was doing this a long time ago, like breath work, but I wasn't calling it mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, and as taking courses with you, I've learned, oh, this is, this is, you know, and I'm still evolving. Um, this, this is mindful, you know, a, a form of mindfulness. Yeah. I'm so curious. I love how you said 
and you captured that so well that you want someone to be more task focused than self focused. And and speaking to to us today, what you said about um, different levels of of arousal, essentially, right, and and finding that different number for for different goalies. I wonder, like one of our favorite questions to ask our, our guests on the podcast is, how do you make that pitch? How, how do you help build that bridge for, for an athlete who doesn't have the experience or the knowledge of the science behind mindfulness, right? So that, that the breath can be this window into your ability to be aware of that, to, to regulate that. Um, how, how do you introduce your athletes, maybe your goaltenders specifically to that idea? Um, I learned at an early age, Keith, that um, I was with my goalie coach one time and we were, I was struggling. I was having a tough go, getting off to a tough start. And he said, literally, let's go on the ice before main practice and let's go work on some things. So I literally got onto the ice and the ice surface was pitch black. Now I'm a goalie and I got to stop black pucks. <sighs> what the, what the heck is going on? And all of a sudden, he, he said this phrase to me, Keith. He said, Johnny, you ever heard this phrase before? And I said, what's that? He goes, hey, there's a minute left in the game. The goalie's going to get a shutout. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, who just said that? Now, for those who don't, that, like, that's the kiss of death. Because usually if somebody says that, they get jinxed. And, you know, next thing you know, the puck's, you know, behind you. And I'll never forget this. He said, you know, what happens? I said, well, usually the goalie gets scored on. And he goes, well, why is that? And I said, because the goalie lost his focus. Would you guys agree with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he turned around, and I will never forget this. And this is how I introduced mindfulness. He said, no, the goalie's focus actually got better. And I said, what? And I sat back, and I, and I, I couldn't, pardon the pun here, wrap my head around it. And he said, John, you have to think of your focus like a flashlight. So wherever your flashlight goes, that's where you're sending 100% of your energy. Next thing I know, he pulls out from behind his back an old coal miner's helmet, uh, you know, with the big floodlight. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he said, let's go down to the far end and let's imagine we're up one nothing against our arch rival. So, and again, remember, I can't see two feet in front of me, guys. So he says, put it on. He says, let's line up to the face-off dot as if, you know, to your glove side. And he said, turn it on. He said, right now, where's your flashlight? He said, it's on the face-off dot. He said, what happens if your flashlight goes to the scoreboard? Mm -hmm. Because you're thinking, you want that win. You want that shadow. You want that goal. Well, if your flashlight's there, guess where your flashlight's not? On the play that's happening right in front of you. And the very thing that you don't want to have happen is going to happen because your focus is awesome, but it's on the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong way. Hmm. And so one of the ways I explain it, Keith, because you asked a great question is I always ask my goalies, you know, think about something that you did yesterday. And they're like, yep, I got it. And I'll say, okay, now physically go there. And they'll go, well, I can't. And then I'll say, okay, think about something you're going to do this weekend. You got that? Yep. Okay, now physically go there. Well, I can't. Hmm. So where is the past and the future? You know, the past and the future are only in our mind. Now, if my flashlight is pointing on my head because I'm focusing on my thoughts, whatever those thoughts may be, 
guess where my flashlight is not? And so one of the things through breath work, um, even like you mentioned, Tim, about listening to sounds. Mm -hmm. Well, now one of the things I teach is we can use any point of anchor. You know, we can use sounds, we can use the breath, we can use, as you mentioned, point of contact. I love when you said point of contact, just feel your butt on the chair. And the great thing is they, they find it so empowering that they can learn how to direct their flashlight to wherever they want it to go. And, and I would say early on, I used to, you know, control arousal. Now I don't, they don't have to control it. They, they can just be with it. Just like you said, whatever comes up moment to moment. And I call it, it's an and world. Can you be nervous and still perform really well? Yes. So I would say early on in my, like my CBT years, you know, we work on trying to get rid of that thought, change that thought, change that sense. Now it's just be with it. You can, um, a little phrase that I learned from a colleague, uh, you guys, I'm sure you know, Amy Saltzman. I, I love Amy's little phrase. It's, you can have a thought and a feeling without that thought and feeling having you. And so through, through the breath, through the breath work, um, if they're, if they're stuck in their head, they can use their breath in the midst of a game to just anchor themselves back into the moment. And, that, and, and, and it's a skill, just like they're shuffling, just like their core, it's a skill. And, and they like it. They like that metaphor of this is weight training for the brain. And so and I'll often say, okay, well, how long is the period? Well, it's 20 minutes. Well, let's see if we can work on just being present for that time. And we don't start off with 20 minutes. <laughs> you know, we might start off with a minute and then just keep gradually building. And they love that kind of challenge, Keith. They let, like they have, like to have fun with it. Yeah. So I sorry, love, wow. very, very, they're very long-winded. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, there were so many great examples in there, in, in, in that. Thank you so much. I, I think... I was I was feverishly sort of taking mental notes. It's like, wow, I love that language. Uh, <laughs> so many things. And I could see how, I mean, something we talk about a lot, and, and I know that's something that, that Tim really emphasizes in his work is how experiential mindfulness is. Yes. Right? That, that you can't just sit down and say, okay, the breath is going to be an anchor. Here you go. That, that it sounds like what you experienced and what you try to help your athletes experience, and I'm sure your other clients as well, is is what this feels like right is is a physical like when you say you know can you go to this weekend right that that evokes a physical sensation that is an experience that someone has it's not just an idea it's not just a visualization um and and that that just strikes me in these different examples just how how adept it sounds like you are at helping people to experience what you're really talking about and and to build those connections then to on ice performance well um, and again, maybe this is not mindfulness, but I've been bringing, for the last two years, I've been practicing the Wim Hof method. And so I go into glacier waters. Well, I don't know who said this. Maybe it was one of the Wim Hof instructors. Um, and maybe you guys might disagree, but it's a forced body scan. <laughs> uh, whether, <laughs> whether you want to or not, one of the reasons why I love it is... Um, get comfortable being uncomfortable. There's too many, I think in the past, sports psychology was you had to control it. You had to, you had to, you know, control these things. And now when you just, the word accept, be, be with it, allow for it, acknowledge it. It doesn't mean that you like it. 
But one of the things I've learned through the cold exposure is that when you're just being with that sensation, ironically, um, the, the pin, you know, the pins and needles, the first 90 seconds happen, but then when you're just with it and you're just experiencing it, like you said, Keith, all of a sudden that it, it, you, it, it feels, I don't know, like you, you're just, I don't know what the word is. I can't describe it, but you're just, you're just there and you're, and you're so full to life. And, and so that, that's one of the things that I, I do cold exposure every day, whether it's cold shower or literally in my backyard, I go in, sit in a cold tub and just be be with it. And for me, it's liberating. That's the word because, but I'm not trying to get calm. I'm not trying to get relaxed. And it's like you said, Tim, like if I'm in the backyard and I'm just in that water and I'm hearing the birds and I'm feeling the sun on my face, um, it's just being, just taking that time just to be. And and for me, I really love, it, it grounds me. And it kind of sets sets me for the rest of the day. I'm in control of my day, not the other not other way around. Yeah, and the other thing that it makes me think of is like to kind of to Keith's point before about taking an abstract idea and 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 creating an experience. Like um, when I think about cold exposure, I think about like the importance of physically letting go. Yes. Right, you you go into that cold water, right, and you immediately tense up. Right. Like, and you feel that tension all in your body and somehow like we do it because we're trying to protect ourselves, but holding that tension makes it so much worse. Right. right. Like, and so you have the physical experience of like letting go, like letting your muscles relax. Uh, And it takes this abstract idea, which telling people like, let go all the time, right? Let go, just let go, let that thought go. But it's like, no, 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 no. There's a real experience that goes along with letting go. And it just makes it so, so visceral, so vivid. And when they feel their breath, Tim, when they feel that breath, that's how they can learn how to just, um, I know for a lot of my younger athletes, when they've done this, um, wow, like, I, I am cautious to use this word control, but they, they, they can manage. Mm-hmm. So they, 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 I would say they, they have these sensations but they, they have a different relationship to it now. Where in the past, they would have gone into the fear response. But now it's like, oh, okay, yeah. It's, you know, and you, a lot of the mindfulness instructors have used this where you kind of go into a cold lake and you kind of just be with it, notice it, and then your body adjusts to it. And then you go a little, and then next thing you know, you're, you're neck deep and you're feeling okay. And that's where they've learned how to use, even though these difficult emotions and difficult sensations are all going in the course of a game, um, that's okay. I can just be with it. And, and a lot of the goalies have told me over, you know, a lot of athletes have told me that, you know, the five, 10 minutes before that they're freaking out, they're pooping their diapers and, and all of a sudden, you know, five minutes into the competition, where did that feeling go? It's gone. Okay. And, and I think in the past, in the past for me, it would have been, okay, let's try to control that. And now, no, we don't, we can, they can just be with that sensation and, and still go do what they need to do. Well, yeah, to your point before, right. It's not about making that specific thought or that specific sensation going, go away. It's really about 
attention regulation. It's like, how much attention am I paying to that thing? Which I, right. I really like. I mean, that, that anecdote from your coach is just like so, so poignant um, because it really does, it feels very mindful in the sense that it, it takes you out of the typical, like, um, I want to put things in, in, in kind of a dichotomy. Like I'm either paying attention or I'm not paying attention and one is good and one is bad. And it's like, right. no, it's not either or. You're always paying attention to something. But you just might not be paying attention mindfully, right? It re reminds me of John Kabat-Zinn's definition, right? It's paying attention in a particular way, right? So we're on always purpose. paying attention, yep. but not necessarily on purpose, right? Not necessarily non-judgmentally, right? And when we start to see that, then controlling those sensations becomes far less important, right? Because we realize the true power is in directing that flashlight. That, that, and they love that. And, and that's my, the, the hockey mantra, or the goalie mantra that I use with all my clients is, I have no future. And you see some of my kids look back and they're like, well, thanks, John. Because what happens is, is you can actually go and have a phenomenal game, but maybe your teammates don't show up that night. Mm -hmm. And you played great, but you lost the game for nothing. Well, one of the things is, Maybe you didn't do anything wrong. Maybe you had a great performance, but because of what we call the uncontrollables, you know, that you, you, you're not always going to get the outcome that you may want because there's so many other factors that could play into it. So I always teach this. I have no, I have no future. I have no past. So whether I won the game or lost the game or I made the save or I didn't come up with the save, what does it have to do with the next shot? And they're like, oh. And I always talk about the gambler's fallacy with my goalies. You know, if I flip a coin seven times and it comes up head seven, you know, seven times, on the eighth toss, you know, what's the probability of it coming up heads? And they're like, well, 50-50. But I'm like, what about the seven previous ones? <laughs> and, they, and the light comes on, oh, it has no bearing. And so, you know, that's where the breath, go back to your point, Keith, when they feel the breath, just coming in and going out one shot, one play, one period, one game at a time. That's how they learn how to just play one shot at a time because they're learning that this is just like the, you know, in a game, the breath is just like one shot at a time. So it's, I have no future. I have no past. My goal is to make the present last I'm right here, right now. And so to key, like Tim, for some of my goalies, when their flashlight wanders, it sometimes goes to a different place. It might go up into the stands because they're concerned about what their mom and dad are thinking, or they're trying to impress NCAA scouts, or they're trying to impress, you know, Western Hockey League or NHL scouts. Um, for other kids or, or clients, it's not that the flashlight goes to a different place, but literally goes to a different time zone, to the past or to the future. And to me, mindfulness is because I'm more aware. I remember John Kabat-Zinn saying one time, it's not about the breath. It's about the awareness. And that when, when your mind wanders, that's okay. That's what it does. But when you're aware of it, so that's why I always tell my client, like, to me, mindfulness is being more aware of my thoughts, feelings, and sensations. And, and because I'm more aware, I can make a better informed choice what I want to do with it now 
rather than maybe in the past, I would have just reacted and jumped into it. And so now it's like, okay, like you said, oh, my shoulders were a little tight. Oh, because I'm more aware of it, I can, I can let it go. And, and that, that helps a lot for athletes, you know, pre-competition because they're more aware. They, oh, okay, I can, oh, I'm going to stretch out that area a little bit more. So they've used that skill to help them even perform better prior to the competition. Yeah. And we talk about that so much in MSBE, like the, the choice component, right? The more awareness you have, the more choices you have. Um, and, I, and I think that is a, a really important way to, to frame this, right? In terms of the rationale, like why is this helpful? How is, how is sitting focusing on your breath, right? Going to help you on the ice, right? Or going to help you on the track, going to help you in the pool, like to make that connection, right? Like it, it informs all of the choices you make that lead up to like that day of competition. Um, and that like, I have found that like athletes really, really respond to that though. I, you know, I'm curious cause I know you, you work with lots of people who are not athletes, certainly other performers, um, you know, ballet dancers and accountants. And so, I, so I'd be so curious to hear like how you talk about this stuff, how you frame it, or if you teach it differently with these different populations, both in and out of kind of the performance realm. Guys, if you can help me um, on your website, what is it? Uh, you, you borrowed that phrase. Um, focus is the currency of oh, attention is the currency of performance. Uh, Peter yes. Haberl's quote. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I, I, I don't use that, but I use that. That's it's like, where, where is, you know, focus not important. I, I don't know where focus is not important. So whether it's academic performance or, or you know, you're in the court, um, I always ask my clients right off the bat, how important is the ability to focus? Mm. And that's where, if I, maybe I'm using the wrong term here, that's where I get the buy-in. And, th and that's where they start to realize that, yeah, this is a, a critical key component. And um, a lot of people, I joke about this, but you'll hear parents all the time. Um, there's a very famous uh, gentleman on internet right now called Dan Dapani. And, and he talks about, um, you know, how many people have ever told you, focus, Keith, focus, Tim, right? Bear down, right? But do they ever tell you how? Yeah. And, and so there's where I'll say, okay, you know, if focus is important, has anybody ever taught you? how to focus and that's where whether it's through a body scan or through the breath work or i call it channel channels um learning how to be in each different channel hearing taste touch smell and they love that like um oh this is really cool i if i want to just be in my hearing channel oh that's really cool if i want to be just in my body channel and, and they like that it's like that i i can direct my mind to where i want where i want to bring it um, and also that open, open awareness or choiceless awareness that it's okay to be whatever, what, whatever is coming up. Like you mentioned in your meditation, it, it's, it's okay to experience whatever's happening in the, in the moment. Um, and, and they love that. They, they, they love that. They can just, um, there, there's times where they, they can have difficult emotions going through that day, but they've, they, through mindfulness, they've learned how, um, not to let that emotion dictate what they need to what they need to go and do that day. Mm -hmm. 
I, I think that that emphasis on focus as a trainable skill. Yes. I know that for me, one of the things when I first started studying mindfulness that that really stood out to me is just, wow, this is something you can practice. This is something that's trainable. Here are some some different ways to do that. And and I, I think this goes back in a way to what you were saying with John Kabat-Zinn's quote, that it's not about meditation to relax. It's not about meditation for the sake of meditation, right? It's 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 practicing a particular way of paying attention, practicing a particular skill that is that is strengthening this capacity to be present and, and to focus. And, and from our prior conversations, I, I know you brought up something really interesting from, from your own experiences, uh, your own work about ADHD. And, and you brought it up earlier uh, in, our, in our interview here, um, just, just mentioning it, but, but I wonder if you could speak about, about that a little bit. I know you have some, some some feelings about that, about how ADHD tends to be treated and, um, you know, maybe a, a role in mindfulness or attention training and, and um, how, how, how you feel about that. Yeah, I think um, I'm very passionate about it. Um, a lot of times, and I, I'm not sure what it is in, you know, stateside, but in Canada, often if someone suspects that they have ADHD, they'll bring them to a psychiatrist or a medical doctor. And it's not right, wrong, good or bad, um, but often there's, you know, subjective um, measurements done in terms of whether a person has ADHD or not. And right there to me, I think there needs to be a, an objective measurement of abilities, auditory and visual focus. And there's a lot of things out there that can be done to objectively measure one's abilities, uh, cognitive capacities. So I think that's one thing I talk about. But then on the treatment side of things, often the pharmaceutical model, if you've been brought up in that, that model, they're going to say, well, this is the only way that we can deal with this. And I want to let adults, parents, kids know, no, this is not the only way that we can work with this. And so there's, it, it's a skill. Like you said, it's a trainable skill, Keith. Um, you know, I mean, the pro of ADHD medication is it kicks in quickly. Um, you know, we're with mindfulness, it's, I use the metaphor, it's weight training for the brain. You're not going to go in, you know, one time and come out, come out like Arnold Schwarzenegger, oh, look at me, I'm, I'm pumped up, right? <laughs> it's, you're going to, through time and practice, um, you're going to strengthen that prefrontal cortex. That's what the research shows. You're, creating cortical thickening. And you're also learning how to manage the amygdala um, and be able to, you know, work through or be with that fight flight response. And so I've seen in children how, again, I'll use this word liberating. It is like, wow, I had no idea how much control that I could have and how much power. Um, and so again, like teaching the kids how to focus um, and how they can use it in the classroom, how they can use it in their relationships with their peers. Um, you know, that to me, it, it's so fun to watch how much people have, you know, their lives have been restored. Because um, a lot of times they, there's a lot of shame, um, like there's something wrong with me. And it's like, and, and even like I'll say, like, let's say if you have ADD, well, that's, you might have that, but that's not who you are. And, and 
and I'll say like, okay, if you, like, just like if it's upper body strength or lower body strength, okay, if we, it's something, we can work on this. And so I, I call it skills rather than pills. And so they threw, um, you know, different types of mindfulness practices. Like, okay, let's, let's take some time and let's eat mindfully. And they love that. They, they love that. And, it, and so it's, um, for me, um, showing them another way other than medication has, for a lot of the parents and for the kids, has been very um, freeing. Um, and, and it's a skill that they can have for the rest of their life and use it in uh, for provincial exams. I've had so many kids come back and say, um, John, like, oh, I got my driver's license. Like, this, this has helped me. Like, I, you know, like, I was so nervous, but I also knew that I could still do it. Mm -hmm. And, and that medit my daily meditation practice has been so so helpful for me to and it allowed me to do what I wanted to do. So it's that that's been exciting for me on that side of things. And you know, I'm really glad you brought in that shame piece. You know, because I I found myself thinking about kind of exactly what you were saying, the 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 ways that we judge ourselves when we have these labels put on us. Right. And, we, and we talked a lot today about kind of the intentional training piece, essentially like the awareness component of mindfulness. But of course, there's like the acceptance component. And this is one of the things that I love about mindfulness, that it's so much bigger than just like improving sport performance or reducing anxiety, you know, um, that it, it really does change the way we perceive the world, perceive our, ourselves. You know, and, I, 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 and I, I see this more and more now, like when it comes to ADHD or autism spectrum disorder, right? That people are talking about it in terms of like neurotypical versus neuroatypical, right? Or neuro, neurodivergent, like that it's, it's not about pathologizing, right? It's not saying one is better or worse, Right. But we do have to recognize that we live in a culture, we live in a society that prioritizes a certain way of thinking, a certain way of being. And so when someone is outside of that norm, right, we tend to label that as bad, right? You have a diagnosis, you have AD, you're, you're less than, right? right? And so I would imagine that like a, a mindfulness training for someone with ADHD, in addition to helping them kind of perhaps improve their attentional capacity, Right. It also allows them to let go with some of that stigma. Say so like, yeah, sometimes I need to fit into this box because like that's the way our world is and I need to pay attention to the way a neurotypical person does. But even when I can't, that doesn't mean something's wrong with me. Right. And, and, and I think the other part that I've learned over the last few years, Tim, is um, I can't remember the lady's name, but it's not just paying attention, but paying attention with kindness. Mm. Um, you know, paying attention to the here and now with kindness and curiosity so that we can choose our behavior. And one of the things, especially with ADHD clients, it's like, um, cause sometimes they do get frustrated that their mind is wandering so much. And I'm like, that's okay. Yeah. That that's okay. That, that that's all right. That's what the mind does. And, and if anything, when you catch it, instead of being hard on yourself, congratulate yourself because it's this recognized return skill. That's one of the reasons why the athletes love it. Keith, you were talking about earlier that, um, you know, a lot of athletes have this misconception, particularly kids that, you know, my NHL goalies, like they can focus for 60 minutes. And I'm like, uh, no, um, you know, P that's P a hard P no. Yeah. P PGA tour golfers do not focus for six hours. Mm -mm. No one does that. And, and they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah. And so it's like, you know, when they first, even just with the awareness of breath, when their mind wanders, it's like, 
that's okay. That's all right. And, 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 and if anything, when you, when you catch it wandering, congratulate yourself. And just doesn't matter how many times it wanders, just gently and kindly, just keep bringing it back. And that's where the, it, I find that also, Tim, it helps with that shame piece because there's, isn't, there, you're just fine the way you are. And, and, just, and, and my, one of my first mindfulness teachers, um, Priscilla, she mentioned, I don't know if you guys agree with this or not, but it helped me was, she said, John, just like the heart pumps blood, guess what the brain does? It pumps brain waves, it pumps thoughts, mm-hmm. and that's okay. And, and I think I heard John Kabat-Zinn one time say, if your mind wanders 10 times, just notice what, you know, what's on your mind and then bring it back. Yeah. If it wanders 10,000 times, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Just notice it and bring it back. And, and I know for a lot of my clients, that's so liberating that they don't have to control their thoughts anymore. Yeah. Like they, they can acknowledge it and it doesn't mean that they like it, but it's just, oh, okay, it's there. That's all right but I can gently bring it back. And, and that's where they've learned how not to let those thoughts and feelings, you know, consume them, that it can still be there and they can still go do what they need to do. And that for a lot of my clients, that's so powerful. Well, the, the only thing I was going to ask you, Tim, was I had a young goalie last night. He's from just outside of Pittsburgh. And he really learned this. He really learned that he could have all these negative thoughts and feelings prior to a game. And that he could still go out and perform really, really well. But what I found really interesting, he said, you know, ah, man, I have a, such a hard time motiv- motivating myself to do homework. You know, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm tired. And I said, isn't that the same principle? He's like, oh, you're right, John. It's not, it's no different. I said, how can you be with those thoughts of not being motivated, you know, not excited and still go do your homework? And so, you know, the mental noting practice where you're just noting if you're, you know, using your breath as an anchor and notice noting, you know, when your mind wanders, he's found that very helpful now to, to be able to help him with those difficult emotions when he doesn't really want to do his homework. <laughs> but, but I find it interesting. Some of the, my clients can, really get it in one area, but they don't see how it can c- connect in another area. Um, and I don't know if you've, you guys have had that experience with other clients, you know, where they get it in one, but maybe it, it doesn't transfer over to another area, but then they're like, Oh yeah, it, that makes sense, John. Yeah. I mean, I, like, absolutely. And, and again, like, that's kind of circles back to what I was saying before about how mindfulness, I feel like is so much bigger. Yeah. And just to achieve this one thing. And even though that's often how people find mindfulness, like I want to have less anxiety. I want to perform better at sports. I want to sleep better, right? So I'm going to meditate, right? And they start to realize like, oh, this touches so many other parts mm-hmm. of my life. Um, yes. And I think, yeah, there's these kind of fundamental lessons like the way that shame interferes with curiosity, right? And I imagine for that young gold you were talking about, right? There were a lot of feelings around like not being able to do his homework and shame might have been one of them they're like ah, i'm not able to perform at school in the way that i want to or people are judging me and yeah and that stops us from being curious about like oh well what like how is this similar to this other experience how do these things translate and so we're we're constantly encouraging the athletes that we work with to look out for that kind of stuff and certainly we see this like when i'm working with a team you know the um trying to teach them mindfulness most of the time when they start reporting what they notice, the ways that mindfulness impacts them, it has nothing to do with their sport. 
Right. I work with a lot of college athletes. So it's like, I focus better in class. I, you know, I'm not fighting as much with my roommates, you know, like, and, and it's like, oh, right. And all of the reasons why like my thoughts and judgments get in my way in those places, like that's going to apply in my sport too. And like, it turns the light bulb on. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I think, had, oh, sorry. sorry, sorry. No, I, I've had the same, like where a lot of the college students, like I'm managing my homework better. I'm managing my schedule better. And oh, by the way, I'm actually performing better on the, on the playing surface too. <laughs> I mean, I think John, you've given us so many wonderful points to chew on over this mm-hmm. conversation. And I don't know if you have a name for your approach or, or how you frame your work, but the word that I think you've used more than any other is and. How, how so much of this is about and, right? Yes. It's not either or, or just this one area, or even the way your career, right? It's, you cross so many different areas in, in the people that you work with and the kind of work that you do. You, you truly seem to embody the and guy. So if you decide to use that, you can credit me for, for the idea. <laughs> but, um, but I love that. I mean, I, I think that is so, I, I know we, we do have to sort of wrap up here in mm-hmm. a second, but as you were talking, something that that just felt like it was so present and and we just didn't have time to go in this direction so maybe you can come back and join us again is the idea of limits and the idea of how people put limits on themselves and try to put themselves into these or boxes um and and how so much of what you're saying today really i would imagine with with the people you work with helps them realize that they can transcend these limits that they might have set for themselves you know these these expectations and, and how when you show them this different way of paying attention, perhaps things don't play out the way they would have anticipated based on past experience or projections into the future. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 mean, I always share this story and I, I'll, I'll try to keep it real brief, but I, unfortunately I lost my mom three years ago. And when I um, went back to Glasgow and the doctor told me that um, John, we're, we're going to take your mom off the machine. And I always, I always explain this, that, you know, the moment the doctor told me, I always explain to my clients, it's like, do you think I had a thought about that? Absolutely. Do you think I had feelings about that? Absolutely. Did I have sensations coursing through my body? And for the first time ever, I mean, I look back at it now, I was having a panic attack. I literally felt like, you know, there was this weight on my chest, mm-hmm. but the one thing, and we talk about this and world, um, my mom gave me the honor to execute her will. And I know this may sound strange, guys, but I felt I had two things. One, despite what I was thinking, feeling, and sensing, I had to still do what my mom wanted me to do, and that was execute her will. And the second thing was, was for me to make sure that my mom died with compassion, that died that she know that she was loved and died that she in the most pain-free way possible. Um, she lived for 12 and a half days after they had pulled the machine. Now in that time, uh, you're talking about limits. There, there was days, Keith, where, oh my gosh, I mean, I, you know, but despite all of that, I could still go do what I needed to, to, to do. And, and, you know, Tim, you mentioned there was times where I just went out, and and I know this is hard to believe, but it rains in Glasgow, um, and you know, and just taking that moment to be out in the front and just feel the rain and feel the wind and feel all the stuff that I had going through my mom, you know, about my mom, 
And, and so I think a lot of times, you know, Time Magazine presents mindfulness as this, um, <laughs> to me, that, that's, that's not mindfulness. It's, it's being okay with whatever's coming up. Um, and, and so through that experience, um, that's where I, I try to teach my clients. It's, um, you can just, there's so much could happen, but you can still go do what you need to do. And, and the next thing you know, you're, you are breaking through limits that self-imposed that you might've had before. And, and now all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I, I, I'm doing this. And that's where I've, I had a lot of my clients, you know, break through barriers, whether it's an academic or, mm-hmm. um, you know, personal or a, a sport performance. Um, and they've had, and they've, and I've asked, have you ever had moments like that? And they're like, absolutely. Like I didn't want to go to the gym that morning and 10 minutes later I'm at the gym. So I've learned, Hey, that it's, I can still go do what I need to do. So. Wow. Well, that's an incredibly powerful example. Yeah, thank you thank for, you. for sharing that, John. Yeah. Thanks. Um, well, I, I, as I said, I wish we had more time to, to go <laughs> further into this. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if you want to share with our listeners any ways to get in touch with you, or if you want to just um, mention, I, I believe you have a website, correct? Or let people know how to find you. Yeah. So I have two websites on the health, health, uh, uh, zone, zonepsych.com. And then on the performance side, it's zoneperformance.ca. Um, I'm based out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Um, we have all sorts of, in light of the COVID virus, we've all had all sorts of ways to be able to provide our services now um, all over the world. Um, as beautifully right now, we're doing it through Zoom. So there's lots of different ways that we can, um, you know, assist our clients in reaching their goals, even if it's from far, you know, from far away, remote. And I can't thank you guys enough. I love, I could talk for hours about this. <laughs> Yeah, no, thank you so much for, for being able to come on. This is this has been great. Yeah, we, we really appreciate it. And gosh, I learned a lot from you today. I really, really appreciate everything you shared. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, and we do want to remind everybody as well um, that if you'd like to connect with us uh, through our MSPE Institute, uh, you're welcome to visit our website at www.mindfulsportperformance.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. Um, or you can connect with me, Dr. Keith Kaufman, on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at MindfulSportDoc. And, of course, we also want to take a moment and thank our producer, Taylor Brown of UT Austin and EnduroMind, as well as our colleague, Carol Glass, for all of her help and support behind the scenes. Um, so thank you, everyone, for listening, and thank you, John, for joining us, and we will see you next time. Thanks yeah. again. Bye, everyone. Bye.